This morning, I actually want to just kind of the, you know, our time together, I want to just sort of take you with me on a journey and uh, walk you through uh, some of the things that we did on this trip and uh, also tie in um, a message that I gave to uh, the conference of folks that gathered from the different nations over in that region. And so um, have some, uh, some photos I wanna show you, introduce you to some people and um, just you know, share the vision for uh, prayer and just see what God wants to do as we follow up with uh, things over in uh, that part of the world. So let's read together though, um, Matthew chapter nine, verses 35 through 38. Then we'll pray, then we'll jump in. So let's stand together. Matthew nine thirty-five. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Lord, we we recognize that there is a great harvest. And as is so often the case, Lord, few laborers. So we do uh, take to heart your word this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would send forth workers into the field to reap this great harvest, Lord. Uh, billions of people around the planet who have never heard the gospel, but who would respond if they would hear it. And so we pray that you would send those that will bring the good news to many, Lord. So we pray for your church. We pray that you would bless your people, Lord. We pray that you would inspire us. We pray that you would give us fresh vision and faith. Lord, we pray that you would help us to really understand your call and your purpose for our lives at this time in history. And so, Lord, would you work among us today? Would you bless, Lord, uh, your work? Lord, we think of those that are ministering in difficult areas, challenging places, uh, dangerous places, and we ask that you, Lord, would be with your people and bless and use your church in these days. So speak to us today, stir us up, give us, Lord, just a fresh, conviction and passion for your work around the globe. Work in our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can be seated. So as uh, some of you know, we, I just returned from a, a trip to Israel and uh, Cyprus as well. And the, the trip to Israel or the Israel extension on it was intentional uh, to connect with uh, possible ministry partners there in the country. So when I was in Israel over the past couple of years and just kind of praying about, you know, Lord, do you want us to do anything other than take tours? 
and felt like the Lord put on my heart, I want you to come alongside the church and strengthen the church. And so this trip was kind of uh, a bit of a, of a mission to find out just exactly where we might put our efforts. And so the Lord connected us with a great ministry there. We spent some time with them and are still you know, praying about what this relationship will look like in the days ahead. And then from there, we went uh, from Israel, from Tel Aviv, we flew to uh, Cyprus, which is about a, a 300 mile trip. And there we met up with uh, one of our Calvary Chapel fellowships in the, the city of Paphos, the, the ancient location where Paul and Barnabas went to and preached the gospel to Sergius Paulus, who was the proconsul, the Roman proconsul there. And they, uh, it's there in Acts chapter 13 that they encounter Elamus, the sorcerer who's trying to, to prevent Sergius Paulus from hearing the gospel. Paul pronounces a judgment on him. Uh, Sergius Paulus believes and the gospel spreads more through Cyprus. And so we were there in Cyprus with the church and also we uh, sponsored a conference there. And so people from all around the region came to the conference to be encouraged in the work that they're doing. So um, I've, like I said, I've got some video clip or some photos and I wanna just kind of walk you through them. I wanna introduce you to some of the people and places there. And I'm, I'm doing this number one, uh, so you can kind of get a visual and see what we're praying for. And also just so, you know, you can feel like, you know, we're, we're all in this together and uh, something that God's calling us to do as a church. So I'm gonna walk over here to the side and just kind of point out a few people to you and places and events as we go through the scroll. So the first, um, the guy in the middle, that's the guy that you won't know necessarily. Chet and I are there, but this is Itzik, and he is an Israeli. He's a Jewish believer. He's 24 years old. He's just an absolutely amazing young man, and God's got his hand on his life. The guy in the middle is his father-in-law. His name is Joel Goldberg, and Joel is a director of a ministry called Netiva. Randy is beside him there, and these guys lead this ministry that ministers to hundreds of Jewish believers around the country and mainly prepares them to go into the military and for their faith to survive in the military. And then when they come out, to kind of help them engage and kind of discover uh, where they might go in ministry. So that's us praying there. Um, this is the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall as it's sometimes called. There's Itzik and myself. And this is the Day of Atonement. So we are there on the Day of Atonement, the most holy day in the Jewish calendar when the whole nation is fasting, there's no cars on the road or anything. Everybody's there to kind of you know, reflect on their sins and look for God's mercy. This is me at the uh, Bible College. We have a Bible College in Jerusalem, Calvary Chapel Bible College. And I had the pleasure of speaking to the students there. There's the students and a couple of the instructors. And we had a fantastic time with these guys. God's doing a really sweet work with them there. They're learning and they're ministering. This is Matt Fence. Some of you recognize Matt. He and his wife, Elizabeth, are the directors of the Bible College. So we spent some time with them and encouraged them. And that was really great. So now we left Israel just now and here we are. We're in Paphos. And this is the place. This is the actual ancient archeological site uh, of the ruins where Paul would have came. Uh, or come to uh, with his team. There's Pastor Mike Harris, and that's Dave Sylvester, 
uh, pastor of Calvary Chapel, York. And this is a panel. These are Israelis right here. This was really a special moment for the folks because all the conferences that we've done over the years, no Israelis have been involved. So to have them involved, that was really special. Um, this is, you recognize all of us here. Mike's looking kind of sad. Uh, I don't know what's going on with him. This is the church in Paphos. So this is Calvary Chapel Paphos on the island of Cyprus. And people from all kinds of different nations and I got to share the word with them there that day, and I was really happy, as you could see. I'm smiling, <laughs> and it was a really good time there with them. And then this is the group that uh, has come from all the different um, nations there in the Middle East. Not all the nations, but some of the nations. So all of these folks are ministering in some capacity over in that region. So they've all gone back home now since then, and you see Pastor John Chubik. John's down there in the, in the left-hand corner. Uh, so John left and went to Iraq. So John is in Iraq right now. Uh, they went to do a conference to encourage and strengthen some Iraqi pastors. Uh, they passed through the city of Kirkut, which the next day was attacked by ISIS. So, I mean, these guys are right in the zone there where there's a lot of things happening. So they're still there. They're ministering. Keep them in prayer. Um, and in that group of people that you saw there, uh, you know, there was a time of, of really great encouragement. Everybody that spoke to me said, look, we, we're so thankful that you've come and you don't know how blessed we are. You don't know how encouraged we are. We've been strengthened. Our faith has increased. We've got vision to go back to our countries. But listen, before they even hit the ground back in those countries, some of them have received death threats and coming back. So it's, it's really intense over there. You know, it's nothing like what we know here. Um, you know, we have our issues and problems, but nothing like these guys face. So keep them in your prayers. They've gone back. And, you know, uh, I just feel like it's, it's just a, a satanic pushback. You know, God's encouraged them. They're blessed. They're going back to their post with uh, excitement about what the Lord wants to do. And just typical, the devil's right there to try to discourage them before they can ever, you know, get started with the, the fresh vision. So keep them in your prayers, if you would. Um, as I mentioned, we were there on the Day of Atonement, and that's the holiest day in the Jewish holiday. The whole city, well, the whole nation really shuts down. Everybody's fasting. It's a 24-hour fast. Um, and the city shuts down. There's no cars on the road. And so it's, it's an interesting day because there's no cars on the road. All of the kids around the country, they get out their bicycles on their skateboards and they go out on the roads and they ride. And we were, uh, we were situated in our hotel right across from the city. And there was a hill coming down from the old city of Jerusalem. And um, what happens is kids get out there on their bikes and their skateboards and they're going fast and they get in crashes. And it's the day, the one day of the year where the emergency room is full of more people than any other day of the year because everybody's crashing on their bikes and skateboards. So we witnessed that firsthand. We saw some of those accidents happen. Uh, but we were, so we were there for Yom Kippur. We went over to Cyprus, spent our time there, came back to uh, Tel Aviv, and we were in Tel Aviv for the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so it was really interesting to be there um, during these special uh, holy days and um, just 
Again, some really good things happening. But the thing that the Lord is, is putting on our hearts, of course, is just the need for more ministry, the need to get the gospel. And um, we believe that planting churches, getting new churches established is, is the, the best way to go about that. But there's huge challenges, as you can imagine, in, to do this in this region. So there's obviously challenges in the Islamic countries, but there are also challenges in uh, Israel because uh, the Jewish nation is not really friendly toward the gospel. And Jewish believers in that country, they're persecuted, they suffer, they're discriminated against. Uh, it's not easy for them. So even for them to, you know, to step out and to think of doing something fresh or new, there's all kinds of challenges. And then even in a place like Cyprus, uh, which is a European Union country, half of Cyprus is Turkey, half of it is Cyprus, which is its own nation. It's got a Greek culture. Uh, the Greek Orthodox Church is the main uh, religious body in that part of the country. And they are not at all friendly toward anyone coming in with the gospel. So every one of these people who are seeking to spread the good news and see people grow in their faith, every one of them live with daily opposition. They live with resistance coming their way every day. So that's why I wanted you to just kind of get a picture and to be able to pray uh, for them over there. Now that's, of course, just one part of the world. There's all different kinds of things happening in different places, but that's some of what's going on over there right now. So as we were there, I, all of us taught, Chet taught and, and Mike and Dave and myself, and I shared a message that was kind of spontaneous. It was just sort of born out of my devotions. And um, I shared it with them and many of the, of the folks there said they really you know, felt like that was the word of the Lord to them. So I, I just kind of felt like I should share that same word with us today. And so I wanna do that. And that's from Matthew 9 here. And again, I, I shared it with them in their context, but I think these truths have application for us all the time. And the idea, the, the backdrop for everything is to see God doing a fresh work. And what are the things that we have to keep in mind as we think about God doing a fresh work? And what are the things that we have to expect when we think of God doing a fresh work? So there are four things here that I wanna just walk us through fairly quickly. And so I wanna begin with Matthew 9, verse 9, and read to you from there. So we read here that Jesus passed by and as he did, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax, tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, the house of Matthew, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came to him and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the first thing that I 
shared with the folks there and that I want to share with us today from this passage is that whenever we think of, of, you know, a new work of God, a fresh work of God, we need to think in terms of people getting saved. Because what happens in a lot of these places is you have, uh, you have traditional churches, you have, um, you know, Christianity has been in some of these places for a long time, but a lot of it is, is very traditional. And a lot of it has become more moralistic than actually gospel-centered. And so the thought of seeing sinners get saved isn't usually in the mindset of a lot of the folks. So it's more of a kind of shuffling Christians around from place to place rather than seeing uh, new people come in. And part of it is also kind of, a, of an attitude that develops where you look at certain people and you just don't even think of them as being potential candidates for salvation. And that's what happened here. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. Matthew is a tax collector. You know what the attitude of the Pharisees was toward Matthew? He cannot be saved. That was their attitude. That's what they thought, and that's what they taught everybody else to think. So Matthew is somebody that you completely avoid. Matthew is somebody that it's already determined where this guy's going. It's irrevocable. There's no salvation for these tax collectors. That was the mentality, but this is the very man that Jesus calls. So in my encouragement to the folks there and my encouragement to us, we have to remember that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that the, the, the healthy don't need a physician. It's the sick that need a physician. He didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, not only did he call Matthew, but then he goes into the home of Matthew. And who does Matthew invite? Well, he invites his friends. He was a tax collector. He invited other tax collectors. But it also says that he invited in the sinners. Now, who were the sinners? Well, the sinners were everybody that the religious leaders of the day thought were beyond the salvation of God. They were the prostitutes for sure, the male and female prostitutes. They were the drunkards. They were the thieves. They were the, the liars and the cheaters and the, you know, the adulterers and whatever. They were, they were the sinners. But you see, in the mind of the Pharisees, these were people that you should not associate with and they were perplexed. Why does your master eat with these people? We don't understand this. You see, they had lost sight of what the real mission was. They'd lost sight of the fact that they were sinners themselves and their real mission was to bring other sinners into salvation, but they had lost the uh, sight of that. And this is a danger that every generation of Christian face, Christians face. Because you know what happens to us? God saves us out of really bad stuff. We go on for some time and we grow in our faith and we grow and we get out of those sinful lifestyles and things like that. And then somehow we forget that that's where we came from. And we look at people who are in places like we used to be in. And instead of thinking, man, they, they can get saved like I did, somehow we get a mentality that says, oh no, they, they're too far gone. No, the truth is, that's just where we were as well, but we have perhaps forgotten that. So we cannot forget this vital point that Jesus came to save sinners. And instead of being like the Pharisees and 
closing the doors of the church to the sinners, we have to keep the door open. We have to keep the invitation open. We have to get out with them and let them know that there's a savior. You know, in the course of sharing at this conference, somehow um, it came up that, that we had years and years ago planted these churches in Eastern Europe. And maybe it came up because Mike was there and Mike was the one who was the original church planter after we went in and spearheaded the gospel into uh, Northeast Yugoslavia at the time. But it came up, uh, that, that we had begun planting churches. And somebody asked me about that. And I said, well, you know, the reason why we had to plant churches is because no existing churches would let these kids in. These kids were barred from coming into the church because they didn't look like Christians. Their hair was too long or they, the way they dressed or whatever. There were all of these stipulations that were put up by the church. Uh, if they were gonna come in, they had to pretty much clean themselves up before they could come in. And so when we saw that that door was closed, we knew we have to start our own churches. And so that's what we did. And so we talked about that in the context <coughs> that these guys are in as well. But then we went from there and we talked about the very next verses here, verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So you see the situation here? They come to Jesus, and they say, hey, how come you guys aren't doing it the way we've always done it? That's pretty much the question that they're asking. And Jesus just says, simply, he just says, I'm not doing it your way. I'm doing a new thing. And this is another trap that we have to be careful of as Christians. Now, I was talking to one of the leaders in Israel, and I, in the beginning of our conversation, I said, um, you know, as he was asking me kind of what I thought, what my vision was, and so forth, I said, well, you know, I think, you know, we, we need to plant more churches. And he said, no, we don't need more churches. And we talked for another 20 minutes. And after an, uh, more conversation, he says, well, maybe we do need new churches. Because, you know, the point was this. You have churches, but when churches lose the vision, you can't, you can't impart the vision. You've got these young guys here that God has done something with them. He's touched their hearts. They've got a passion for the gospel. They've been filled with the spirit. They wanna see a work of God. You put them in those churches and try to get them to get those um, people thinking like they're thinking, it's never gonna happen. They're just gonna tell them, oh, look, you know, you can't do that. We don't do it that way. This is the way we do it. You just have to conform to what we're doing. And then he understood, oh, yes, it is possible that we might need new churches. We need new churches with a new vision because God, although his truth never changes, he changes his methods in the way he works. And this is, happens over and over again in the history of the church. The church is always getting stuck in a traditional rut because what it's doing is it's holding on to the way 
God worked in one generation and assuming that he's gonna work the same way in every generation. And then when God does something that's not like what he did before, they can't get on board with it. And oftentimes they criticize it and say, oh, that's, you know, that's not of the Lord because he's not doing it the way we're doing it. That's what these guys were saying to Jesus. How come you're not doing what, what we're, we're John's disciples. How come your disciples aren't doing what we're doing? And the Pharisees are doing, we're doing what they're doing. How come you're not doing that? Jesus said, I didn't come to pour this new wine into an old skin. I came to bring a new skin for the wine. And the skin, of course, is just a picture. It's an illustration of the methods through which God has worked. And throughout the long history of the church, what happens is the church will get like a, like a, a wineskin that is um, no longer flexible. And when you try to put new wine in it, it'll burst the skin. So if God's gonna do a new work, it has to be through a fresh vision. And we have to understand that in our time. I hear lots of people today saying, hey, well, you know, we haven't done it like that and that's not the way to do it. And well, you know, historically, we, we have done it this way or that way or the other way. Fine, that's great. That's what God was doing at the time. That's the method that he was using. And it's wonderful, but we don't enshrine that. We don't say that this is the only way that God can work. Times have changed. And like I said, the message never changes, but the method does change. And if we don't realize that, we will actually never see a fresh work of God. We have to be open to the way that the Lord wants to work. Wow, I think back, you know, <laughs> it's so funny how history repeats itself. Um, you know, back in the days, the early days of the ministry here, um, when Pastor Chuck in those early days was doing radical things, you know what? The generation that he came from was saying the same thing to him. You can't do that. No, we don't do it that way. Had he listened to them, none of this ever would have happened. But he was a rebel in a good way. And he said, you know what? Sorry, we're not gonna keep doing it like that. We're gonna do what God's doing. And now here we are, a new time, a new generation, and, um, you know, quite frankly, there are a lot of times people say to me, well, well, you know, Pastor Chuck wouldn't have done it that way. No, he wouldn't have. But he also wouldn't have stopped God from doing something new because he lived through the whole thing and he knew that kind of thing was prone to happen. And so we have to continue to be flexible and open and recognize that God is gonna work in different ways at different times. And we don't wanna miss a work of the Lord because we're stuck in, well, it just happens this way. Uh, we wanna be open and the scriptures are our boundaries, our guideline. Where the, like I said, again, the message doesn't change, but the method will change. And if we want to experience God's work in the future, We've got to be flexible enough to change with it as the Lord leads. So then that brings us to the verses that we read. And I want to just zero in on verse 35 and 36. So Jesus says, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So this is the reality. The harvest is plentiful. It was the case in the days of Jesus. You know, it's the case today. 
Everywhere I travel in the world, this is the exact thing I see and sense over and over again. The harvest is plentiful. You know, I have had so many people say to me, you know, we, you're familiar with the festival we do in England. You know how many people have said to me, could we have a church like Creation Fest? Could you just bring like a Creation Fest thing and make it a church in our town? You know, what they're saying is like, we're, we're hungry for something like this. We, they, they want a work of God. The, the harvest is great. People are open, but the laborers are few. And we always see the same thing. Few laborers, lots of people that need to hear the gospel and be discipled in the faith, but not lots of people to do the job. And it, it, nothing's new. I mean, this is Jesus. He's the one saying it. It was the case in his day as well. What did he say to do? He said, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So as we recognize this great harvest, think of the Muslim world. There's a billion Muslims plus in the world. And do you know that many of them are open to the gospel? Many of them, especially in our day, are tired of what they see in their own religion. And they want to know if there's something different. They want to know if there is a, a God who is a God of love. But there's so few people that are willing to go and tell them. So this is the problem over and over and over again. But Jesus says the solution is this, pray the Lord of the harvest. So I showed you these pictures partially so we can just get a greater vision for praying for that great harvest field that's there and asking the Lord to raise up. And you know, as we pray, you know what God does? He responds by sending. He responds by putting on our hearts to send or he responds by sending us. So as, as you begin to pray, now for some, this is the ministry that God will call you to. Pray the Lord of the harvest. This is your ministry. This is your calling. Pray that God will send people. Just identify those places around the world where there's a need and begin to pray, Lord, send people. And then others, as you begin to pray, those of you that have financial means, God's gonna say, okay, you're praying. I'm gonna send these five people. I want you to support them to get there and to be able to do the ministry there. You see, the Lord's gonna make us get involved in this. We can't at a distance like, okay, God, just send those other people over there, you know, get them involved. And I'm just gonna sit here and take it easy. Now the Lord's gonna force us into this thing. And sometimes when you're praying, guess what? You're praying for yourself and you don't even know it. You're praying the Lord sent, would send somebody and he said, you know, I'm gonna send them. And guess what? It's you, I'm sending you. And many people are frightened of that. But you know, there's nothing to be frightened of because there's no greater place on the planet than being in the center of God's will. That's where you wanna be. And you know, the crazy thing is these people that I just showed you, every single one of them are living in places, like I said, where they're, they're living with opposition to what they're doing, but not one of them is complaining about it. Not one of them wishes they were somewhere else. Not one of them is even fearful, they're just saying, man, we are so excited to be where God's called us to be. 
And that's what he does when he puts that in our hearts. Now, here's what happens most commonly. When we begin to sense that maybe the Lord is calling us to get involved, you know what we most commonly do in response to that? We most commonly think, I don't, I'm not equipped or I'm not um, qualified or I, you know, how could I do anything? Well, the answer is in the next few verses. Look at this. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Do you know what? This is a list of ordinary people. These are just ordinary guys. You know the story about these apostles. Some of them were fishermen. Uh, uh, Matthew was a tax collector, like we've already pointed out. And there was Simon, who was a zealot. And there, you know, these are just ordinary people. What qualifies them? Look at what it says in verse one. He gave them power. And you see, this is what the Lord does. And all of these people that I've spent time with over the past couple of weeks, they all have this thing in common. They don't have the power to do what they're doing, but they've received power from the Lord. And they're ordinary people. I met a couple of folks on this trip who are people in their 50s, probably mid to late 50s, who either just recently went to the field or are on their way to the field and they're ordinary people. They just felt a stirring. They just felt an undeniable calling. And so they made themselves available and they went. And you know, they've gone to little villages maybe. They've gone to small towns. And there they are. They're bringing the hope of the gospel into the lives of these people that have never heard it before. They're going into Iraq. They're going into these uh, war zones, these dangerous places. And they're just reaching out and they're ministering. And it, they're, they're impacting lives for eternity. You see, we make the mistake so often, all of us make the mistake of thinking that surely it can't be me that God's gonna use because I'm not qualified. Well, you know, the real qualification is just a genuine commitment to Christ and a willingness to do what he wants us to do because he gives us the power just like he did with these men. And so, the harvest is great. And it's not only across the sea, it's around us, isn't it? It's right in our own land. We have many people coming into our, our own country. You know, it's amazing how the Lord... Uh, he sends us to the mission field, but sometimes he brings the mission field to us as well. And so we've got opportunities all around us and we just need to recognize this, that the harvest is great, the laborers are few, and we need to pray. And as we pray, like I said, one or three things are gonna happen. You're either gonna be given just a ministry to pray and God's gonna respond and answer and send, or you're gonna be given a responsibility to send, or God is gonna send you himself. I pretty much think it's, it's one of those three. All of us are gonna be in one of those places because God calls us to be actively involved in 
this great harvest, this work of saving men and women. And so we must never forget, though, that Jesus came to call sinners. There's nobody out there that is um, beyond the, the grasp and the reach of God. And we can't forget that. You know, in Israel today, Jerusalem, as it always has been, is the, the spiritual capital of the nation. And, you know, oftentimes people would think, well, you know, we need to go to Jerusalem. That's the place. It's a spiritual capital. You know, the sin capital of, Jer of Israel is Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is a very um, progressive, essentially sort of European city. Um, it is the most gay-friendly city in the world. And the, the whole culture, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like New York City, it's like San Francisco, it's like any of these places, Atlanta, it's like, you know, LA, what, it's, it's just like that. And I have, you know, heard people say, as a matter of fact, I had a, a Jewish Christian man say to me the other day that, you know, he doesn't go near Tel Aviv, he likes to stick closer to Jerusalem. And yet at the same time, I couldn't help but feel, you know, Jesus would have gone to Tel Aviv. As a matter of fact, Jesus did go. Not to Tel Aviv, because it didn't exist in his day. Tel Aviv was located in Galilee in the days of Jesus. What Tel Aviv is today is what Galilee was in the days of Jesus. Jesus didn't set up his base of operation in Jerusalem, the spiritual capital. He set up his base of operation in Galilee of the Gentiles, which was really the pagan capital of the country. And it was there that he ministered. And it was there that his ministry was the most impactful. And as I, even two years ago, walked through the streets of Tel Aviv, the first thing I thought is, man, this is the place. This is where you could plant a great church. It's full of people in their 20s who are just as lost as anybody else is. And so, you know, we can't forget Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and so we go where the sinners are. We also must remember God does things differently from generation to generation. The truth never changes, but the method changes. We need to be open to doing things differently. We need to recognize that the Lord works in unconventional ways. That's one of the things we talked about. Expect God to do things unconventionally. This is what he does. He doesn't do things so often typically or normally or just, you know, we, we get in a place where we think, well, this is how God would do it. And then he just completely blows our minds and he does something that we think, wait, Lord, how could you do that? But he does. He works unconventionally and he puts new wine in new wineskins. And then finally, he uses ordinary people. The apostles were ordinary people. They were just like us. It's ordinary guys. And yet he gave them power, and that's what made the difference. And that same Lord will give you power today. You believe in the power of God? It's real. And God gives that power to his people to enable us to do things that we could not do ourselves. You see, this is a spiritual um, endeavor that we're involved in. And beyond intellect and beyond all of those things, as important as other things might be at times, it's the, the power of the Spirit of God. That's the real key. 
That's what we all need. That's what's gonna make the difference. And Jesus empowers those that he calls. And as you've heard it said before, it's not ability that God is primarily interested in, it's availability. Because he can give you the ability, but he won't force your availability. So you have to make yourself available and then he will do the rest. So um, as we close today, I just wanna encourage you, be praying for those folks that we got a little glimpse of today and also be praying that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into his harvest. So Lord, we do pray that today and we ask that you, Lord, would continue to stir us up. And Lord, we don't wanna live in complacency. We don't wanna be fiddling while Rome is burning. Lord, we want to be active and engaged and involved anywhere that you'd have us to be. Lord, thank you that you use ordinary people to do your extraordinary work by giving us your power. And Lord, help us never to lose sight of, of the fact that you came to save sinners. Help us to be open and flexible so we don't miss what you are doing or want to do. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.